Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, good evening, everyone. Like Jared, I was just telling myself, evening, 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 good evening. <laughs> it's really good uh, to see you guys all here. And really tonight, tonight is a really a special night. And to be honest with you, I'll make a confession. It's, for me, always one of the hardest nights to teach. Um, for a number of reasons, it's like, well, everyone knows the story. And uh, everybody knows what it's about. So what do you, you know, you have to do something different. And, and honestly, sometimes it's like, you know what? Sometimes we just need to be told something over again to remember really what it means uh, that G- what Jesus did, and I'm so thankful for the worship team. Those songs just almost, you know, they're, they just say what tonight is about, you know, that Jesus paid it all, especially that last song. So tonight, as we take a few moments, it won't be, um, I hope not, like the, the Sunday mornings. It's just a time, it's really just an intimate time for, uh, I look at it as a, almost as, you know, a gathering of, at a funeral where people are coming together to remember somebody who has gone. Uh, you know, when we do that, we're, it's like a memorial, but it's also a celebration. And that's the hard part about tonight is, you know, people at, you know, that maybe don't understand what we're doing tonight. It's like, why is it good that somebody died? We have thought, why is it called Good Friday? Well, like I said, it's a time we're remembering, we're commemorating, we're memorializing, we're celebrating all that Jesus did. So I want to look at a story tonight in Scripture. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 26, verse 20. And we're going to look at an episode here at the, uh, where Jesus uh, institutes communion. And the title of this evening's message, there, there won't even be any notes, just the title it's going to be remembering Jesus. As I said, at a funeral, you're kind of remembering special things about somebody. And that's the hard part, too. It's like, well, what do we say about Jesus tonight that we haven't already said? And again, sometimes it's just, you know, we need to hear it again. And maybe for the first time, some people need to hear it. And maybe even for a third or fourth time, it's like, we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And so I hope that comes through tonight. And so let's pray before we start one more time, and ask the Lord to do that. Lord God, thank you so much for this night that we can gather as a family of believers to remember all that you have done for us, uh, just even differently, because we normally do that on Sunday, Lord, but tonight on a Friday night, we come to remember what your death on the cross means for us, to those who believe. So I pray this evening, Lord God, as we go through this text, that you would speak to each person in this room in a way that you've never spoken to them before. If this is the first time that they've heard this or the hundredth time, Lord God, I pray that you would prepare their hearts in such a way that they would receive it. And we pray this, Lord God, in your name. Amen. All right, well, as I said, we're going to look at uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and in this episode, I'm going to point out a couple things along the way that help us to remember, and again, because that's what we came here tonight 
to do, right? We come tonight specifically to remember a few things. Number one, we come to remember Jesus' suffering. Jesus is suffering. We, we often talk about it, but it's really hard to understand the suffering that he went through. And, and I'm going to point out a few things tonight. We're going to look at the way Jesus suffered by being betrayed, by being rejected, and by his physical death. We're also coming to remember Jesus' victory, and that's the good part about Good Friday. Jesus' victory for himself and Jesus' victory for each and every one of us who receives uh, what he has done. So uh, we come to remember these things also at the end of tonight's service by partaking of communion. And we're saying when we take communion that not only do we remember this, but we believe it. That we believe that this truly happened. And it happened for me or you or all of us. So let's look at verse 20 in Matthew uh, 26, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, actually to verse 25, and then we'll talk about a few of these things. And so it says this, Now when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each began to say, say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he said, excuse me, and he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And they're all shot. Or they're all actually all deeply grieved. They're like, what? Like, we're not going to betray you. We've been you know, walking with you for three years, listening to you, serving alongside of you, ministering to you. And so they're deeply grieved. But Jesus knew this all along, but his betrayal also grieved him, I'm sure. And, and Judas is the one who betrays him, as he says in verse 25. You have said it yourself. Judas, think of Judas for a moment. <clears throat> so Judas literally, not, not like, I mean, he was there. Judas literally heard and saw all that Jesus did, all that Jesus taught. Yet he never humbled himself before the Lord. He never truly believed the Lord, obviously. He saw, just think, of, if you, you know, all of us, we're you know, years removed from all this. And by faith, we're trusting that these things happen. But Judas literally saw this happen. He saw the miracles. He saw the water turn to wine. He saw people raised from the dead. He saw people healed, sight restored, um, hearing restored. Yet he never humbled himself. In fact, not only did he not humble himself, he betrayed, think of this, he betrayed the Lord's love for him. Jesus truly loved Judas, yet Judas betrayed that love. And not only that, Judas rejected that love. Have you ever been betrayed or rejected by somebody that you love? That hurts deeply. How much more for the Lord 
And the result, obviously, as you know, for Judas in verse 24. Again, look at what Jesus, Jesus says about Judas at the very end of verse 24. He says, It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. What's going to happen to Judas is worse than of never being, never even existing. Imagine that. And as we look at Judas's, this episode in Judas's life here, I notice or I, that Judas's character and Judas's actions and his end actually are a microcosm of sinful humanity. Right? This is what this is what the end result is for all those who reject and betray Jesus. And I think this is good for us to remember this evening, tonight. As I had mentioned a few times, a lot of us have heard this before. right? We've maybe even brought up in the church. And so we know these stories intimately. But maybe it's a warning for some of us to truly understand, have I really humbled and submitted myself to the Lord? Right? You may say, I heard all these things in Sunday school. Now, I know the Bible very well. My mom and dad took me every Sunday. But yet, have you humbled yourself before the Lord? That's why I say his, Judas is a microcosm of humanity. Right? Because today, and maybe even those of you listening tonight, either here or on uh, the stream, some of us have as I mentioned, have heard these stories, has maybe even seen miracles in our families' lives, seen Jesus transform people's lives in our family or friends, but we don't really believe, right? We maybe feign it. We can even pretend to believe, but we don't, right? There's people in the church who heard all about the Lord, but never truly believed. You hear stories all the time. People that were raised in the church and they don't come to faith until they're 60 or 70 years old. And you're wondering, wow, all this time they've been coming to church and you thought they knew the Lord. So again, this is something for each and every one of us to ponder, right? Again, this is a microcosm. We're right next. We're close to the Lord. We're hearing about Him, yet we don't truly humble ourselves. And not only that, there's those outside the church who also just totally reject the work of the Lord. Again, this is why I say Judas' Judas's character, his actions, and even his end are a microcosm of sinful humanity. As a matter of fact, all of us at one time or another have rejected God. Right? Scripture says in Psalm 14, 2 and 3, it says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They all have turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. If you think about it in your own life, I remember when I didn't follow the Lord. I remember when I mocked the Lord, said blasphemous things about the Lord, whether verbally or in my heart. I rejected God. I did not become a believer until I was 18, almost 19 years old. So for those first 19 years of my life, or 18 years of my life, I've probably done a lot of bad things. And some people would, could probably stand up here and vouch they're not here today. But 
Maybe my mom, she's the closest. She's, you're shaking your head, mom. She's like, yeah, I'll tell you. Mom, <clears throat> can the ushers escort this woman out of here this evening? <laughs> so there's testimony that I, I wasn't always in the church. <clears throat> but we naturally reject God. And the end result of those who reject God is no different than what was said of Judas, right? Judas, it was said, woe to those to uh, whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man would not have been born, right? For t- so today, just take this as a warning for those of you listening, right? Those same words could be said to you. Woe to you who reject the work of the Lord. It would have been better if you had not been born, Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I'm going to turn there quickly. It's just a few pages back in your Bible. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. And again, this is a good warning to those of us who maybe sat around church, familiar with church. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Think of that. There's some people who say Jesus is Lord. I believe in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, there's some people who say that. What, what's gonna, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I know I'm like the disciples, is it me? Is that, is that me? You know, it's good to always say, is that me, Lord? Am I faking it? Am I real? He says, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. He says, many will say to me in that day, meaning the day of judgment, when you stand before God, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. So these people not only knew of Jesus, it looks like they were in ministry of some sort. How many times do we unfortunately hear of people that were in ministry who fall away? Or maybe they're probably never really believers, I would guess. They thought they were, but they really weren't. They've fallen away. And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, this is why I say Judas is just a microcosm of humanity. Because this is going to happen to some people. They're going to stand before God, thinking they are right before God, but they truly have never humbled their hearts before God, and they are going to hear the worst that they could ever hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. The great thing, though, is we must remember, for those of us who are believers, we must remember, but it is by the grace of God that we are even saved, and it's the grace of God that keeps us from wandering. Sometimes it's a message like this with some hard words that remind us, oh yeah, stay close to the Lord. I remember hearing a long time ago Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, talking about losing your salvation and people talking about it. And he gave this illustration of sitting in the back of a pickup truck. And it's like, well, how far away can I walk away from the Lord without falling and he said, he compared it to sitting in the back of a pickup truck. You know, some people sit on the, well, back when I was a teenager, you could actually sit in the back of a truck. That's how old I am. 
or some, we, sometimes we sit on the edge of the truck and hit, the, hit the, you know, the speed bumps and almost fall out. Thankfully, my dad had a construction rack that we could hold on to and we didn't fall out. But um, his point was, don't think about how far away you it sit right up next to the cab and you won't fall out. Same thing, sit right next to the Lord. Walk with the Lord and you don't have to worry about falling out. The Lord will keep you safe. And so this example here of Judas, again, I think is just a reminder to us of Jesus' suffering of his betrayal and the sad reality that many will betray and reject the Lord, just like they did on Good Friday so many years ago. But the positive thing about this is even though people would betray him, even though people reject him, the Lord still came to die for them. Look at verse 24, going back to our text in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus says, in between talking about the betrayal of Judas, he says, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written to, or of him. When Jesus said he's, he's to go, where is he going? Well, what he's talking about is that Jesus is going to go stand before the Jewish leaders. He's going to be crucified for the sins of the world. That's where he's going. Despite people betraying him, despite people rejecting him, he's still going to go. And even in this story, we won't talk about it now because we don't have time, but he even seems to give Judas an option to repent. Right? He says, one of you. But he doesn't tell Judas just to go get out of here. He does later, but... Right? He, right there it shows us, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Judas, I believe, had an opportunity to really repent and humble himself, but he chose not to. Again, just like men and women today have the choice to repent, and it's up to them to make that decision. So here we see in this story that Jesus came to die. He's going to, to a trial, going to be crucified. And Jesus knew this. This was his whole purpose for coming, he said over and over in the Gospels. Right? He says it was written of him. So it was even prophesied in Scripture. And in Jesus' coming, he demonstrates his love for us, knowing what was going to happen to him, knowing he was going to be betrayed, knowing he was going to be crucified. He still came. It reminds me of that Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it's talking about you know, being faithful and looking to the Lord. It says, looking only to Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. And here's the point I want to, here's the part I want to point out. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, he still came. Why? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He willingly went through the pain and torture of the cross for that joy that was set before him. And I think, you know, without studying this off the top of my head, I thought of, you know, what joy, what's that joy? Well, it could be for the joy of his father, right, fulfilling his father's will. But it could also be the joy of us, those who would come to know him. But I think of parents, how many of us as parents have sacrificed and suffered for the joy of our children that they, may, they will never know about. And I'm sure I, I, my mom and my father suffered for me, not because of me, they did that too, but 
for me so that me and my brother and my sister might, you know, enjoy something for the joy set before them. How much more for Jesus that Jesus would endure such torture and pain for the joy of fulfilling the Father's will and the joy of receiving us. I think there's something in that. So Jesus came to die. In looking at the death of Jesus, we need to also look at it in such a way to remember what does it actually mean for believers that when Jesus came? This is that the celebration part that we're going to talk more about probably on Sunday. You know, and every Sunday we talk about these things. And I want to point out just a few of them. In looking at the death of Jesus, what does it mean for believers? Well, number one, it, Jesus' death takes the wrath of God for us. Paul, in, in the epistle to Rome, says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more having now been justified by his blood, he shall be, or we, excuse me, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. You see, when Jesus died on the crucifixion, on the cross, it was crucified, he took the wrath of God for those who would believe in him. So for those people in this world, I pray it's none of you in this room, that do not believe that, then you will suffer the wrath of God at the day of judgment because you didn't let Jesus be your substitution for you. Jesus says, I'm going to take that wrath. Right? I'm going to take the discipline of God for you. And so when you reject that offer of God, then you, then you deserve it yourself. And so that's one of the great things for those of us who are believers, that God's wrath has already been poured out on His Son and it won't be poured out on us, that we are saved from the wrath of God. And not only that, we are reconciled to God. Jesus brought us to God. Paul, again, in Romans chapter 5, 10, verse 10 says, for if, while we were enem- for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, We shall be saved by his life. So Jesus reconciles us to God. That's the only way to be right with God is to be reconciled to him by the Lord. And not only that, we are made righteous before God. This is that great exchange that we talk about over and over again as we preach up here. Again, Paul in Romans 5 verses 18 and 19 says this, So then, as though one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, this is talking of Adam, right, because of Adam's sin we're all uh, have fallen. So he says just by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one the many will be made righteous. We stand before God. You know, we know ourselves. We know we are sinful creatures. We have sinful thoughts. We have sinful habits. And we do things against the Lord all the time. But because we've received what Christ has done for us, Scripture is telling us here that we are made righteous before God, that God sees us as righteous. Think of that. 
God sees you. He sees me as somebody that's perfect and holy. That's unbelievable to think about. Because I know my sinful self, right? And you guys know your own selves. But God doesn't see us that way. He sees us as righteous and holy. We are perfect in Christ. And finally, in looking at the death of Jesus, what we remember that what it means for us is that we have been forgiven of our sins as well. Right? Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. All those things that I've done, all those things that you have done against God are forgiven. All those things that you're going to do against God are forgiven because of what Christ has already done. How many times when we sin do we hold it, we, we like torture ourselves with guilt and shame and we, we provide some type of penance to God to like kind of make ourselves right. And he's saying, you don't need to do that. You're already forgiven. I've already forgiven you in Christ because you receive it. You don't need to torture yourself. You're forgiven. Those are great things to think. Let me just say them one more time just so you can understand them. In Christ, he takes the wrath of God for us. He reconciles us to God. He makes us righteous before God, and he forgives our sins. Those are the things that the crucifixion, crucifixion of Christ brings us. That's why this is Good Friday for us. So not only do we see Jesus' suffering, but we also see Jesus' victory in the crucifixion. Right? Because in his crucifixion, this brings about his vindication. His death brings vindication because he had predicted it over and over again that he was going to die. And he even says it here in our text. He says, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written. He predicted his death, how he was going to die. And that brings vindication of that he's God because he said he was going to do it and he did. And it brings vindication because the prophetic word of God is fulfilled as, as well. Over and over again, Jesus would tell his disciples, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you may believe. Right? He says, he said it, it happened, so you should believe it. This is the victory of God. And so, as we're going to transition now into a time of communion, I want to say this. As we look at all these things, and as you hear all these things, it's great to understand them. It's great to, you know, to... Uh, mentally grasps them, but it can't stop there because this is what happened with Judas. He heard those things. He may have even understood them. He was out there ministering with the Lord, but it stopped there. It can't. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is saying, I'm offering this. Now you have to take it. 
You have to consume it, make it part of you, truly believe it. I think this is what he was saying in the Gospel of John. I want to turn there quickly, verse six, or chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verses 52 through 58, he says something that seems pretty radical and could even be taken in a cannibalistic way. Look at what he says. If you were to read the entire context, you would know this is not what he means. This is an allegory. He says this, The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink the blood, you have no life in yourself. So they didn't get it. They thought Jesus was literally saying, you have to eat, eat me and drink my blood. Right? That's what they're saying. They're like, how can he do this? And Jesus goes on in verse 54. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread shall live forever." And as I mentioned earlier in that chapter, Jesus explained it once, what he really meant, and then he gives this allegory. But they didn't get it. So much so that there's even some denominations that actually think this cup and this wafer actually become the physical body and blood of Christ. They misunderstand it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Eating is an intimate thing. When you eat with somebody, especially in the cultures back then. And this is what Jesus, you need to be intimately, be intimate with me. You need to know me past just words. You need to sup with me, he said at one time. Right? So that's what he's saying. He said, when you take this bread and you take this blood, you're, you're, you're confessing me, you're believing me, and we're having this intimate relationship with one another. You're saying, you know, I truly believe this. This is why Paul warns that if you're not a believer, then don't take this. Don't, don't drink the, the juice and don't eat the wafer because you don't truly believe it and you're blaspheming the Lord in a way. So what do we do with all this knowledge? Again, let's, let's become intimate with it. Let's truly believe it and express our belief by taking communion with one another. And so Jesus says that he says, take and eat. He breaks this bread. This bread and he says this is my body and it reminds us of the broken body of Christ that was broken for you and I or you and me so he gives it to all his disciples it says take so if you're the Lord's disciple tonight when you have them when we have when we pass around then you take that bread and you eat it remembering that this represents, it symbolizes the Lord's body that was broken on this night some 2,000 years ago for you. Just like he said to his disciples, this was for you. Secondly, he goes on to say this, you know, he gives them a cup with wine and says, drink, this is my blood of the new covenant. 
So Jesus is instituting a new covenant that is greater than the old covenant. And for those of you that have studied Hebrews, you will learn all about this. I think the, the women are going through Hebrews. That I don't know if you've studied that part yet. But this is a better covenant. It's a new covenant being instituted by Jesus' death. The juice represents the blood that was shed for each and every one of us. And so as we drink it, we're saying, I believe that. I receive that. And I remember what the Lord has done for me. I think it's in Hebrews where it says, no longer that, you know, that we take the sacrifice bulls and goats, right? It is now the blood of Christ that has finished it once and for all, one time, and it's over. And we're all made right with God because of it. So that's what tonight, as I just a little bit, you know, as I was thinking over the past couple weeks, this is what it means. And I pray the Lord spoke to you through that, and that tonight you will join me as brothers and sisters, as we partake of communion together. So if the worship team will come up, let's pray. And then we'll, um, the pastors will come around and hand out the communion cups. And once they're given out, we'll all come back up and pray over it. And we'll take it together. Let's, let's pray one more time. Lord God, thank you so much for this time where we can look at Scripture and hear again, or maybe for the first time, what this means tonight, what your sacrifice on the cross means for those who believe and those who do not believe, Lord God. I pray for those who do not believe or do not understand yet, have never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would see tonight that they need you, that they can never be right with God without you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and their minds and in this moment that they would cry out to you asking for forgiveness. Lord, that they would ask for the wrath of God to pass over them. And they would believe that you accepted it for them. That they would accept that you made them right with God, righteous with God, and you reconciled them, and you've forgiven their sins. I pray that they would believe that tonight and partake of communion with us. And for those of us who are believers, by the grace of God, we thank you, Lord. May tonight just remind us again of your suffering and all that you suffered for us. As your scripture says that even while we were sinners, even while we were betraying you, you died for us. You came running after us even as we mocked you and rejected you and even betrayed you. You still came after us, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. We thank you that because you died, and as we'll celebrate in a couple days, you rose again. You vindicated yourself. You've proven that you are above all other gods, and we thank you for that, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.